Okay. Well, we are continuing our study through the book, book of Proverbs, and today's topic is very fitting. As you know, uh, that we took the first nine chapters of Proverbs going verse by verse, but we've come upon the part of Proverbs uh, that functions more like what we think of when we think of the book of Proverbs. We have all of these uh, one-liner or two-liner wisdom zingers, and you can seemingly just uh, you know, turn the page and kind of pick out any verse or, or little paragraph between chapters 10 and 31 and, and pull out these nuggets of wisdom. One commentator I read this week, he, he described it like this. He said, this portion of Proverbs, it's kind of like a, a chest of gold coins. You open up this chest and it's all so valuable and you can seemingly just reach in there in this section and, and pull out a coin and, and you can admire the beauty, flip it over, admire the other side, and, and it's, it's packed with, with truth and, and teaching and application. It's just so, so practical. And so that's the section that we're in. And so the way that I'm attempting to preach this section, rather than going verse by verse through 10, uh, and, uh, or from 10 to, to chapter 31, I'm trying to group clusters of these Proverbs together in topics because when you when you pull out one of these gold coins the gold coin in front of it or behind it may or may not be related to that gold coin and so I'm trying to cluster them together the first week we did this we talked about there, how, how many proverbs there were that instructed us on how to speak and, and instruct us on how to listen and then the week after that we talked about how many proverbs proverbs there were that that spoke to pride and humility and how important it is to, to live with humility and to, to shun that pride that rises up in our life if we want to live with biblical wisdom. So today, we have a new topic, and the topic is family. There's something for everybody here today, because everybody is a part of a family in some way, shape, or form here today. So a a wise individual, someone who takes godly wisdom serious, is to be someone who takes the concept of family ultra serious. Family matters. That was one of my favorite shows growing up. Only a fool would be reckless with family though, right? So within this cluster of proverbs that have to do with the family, I have three categories we're going we're gonna to examine. So the first grouping in this cluster, I want, to, I want to look at a few proverbs that have to do with teaching us how to be the ideal spouse. This is what the ideal spouse looks like according to Proverbs. And so if you're married today or plan on getting married someday, you're going to want to pay attention to these teachings and want to uh, live with wisdom in that realm of your life. The second category, we're going to look at a grouping of Proverbs that have to do with living with wisdom as a youth. As a child, and so if you're not in kids ministry today and you're here with us, I got something especially for you, Proverbs that really matter and teach you how to live with wisdom as a teen or as, as, as a younger person. And then the third grouping we're going to examine today is a group of, of Proverbs that have to do with describing to us what the ideal parent looks like. And so if, if you are a parent here today, some really important passages. I bet you can even guess a few of them off the top of your head because they're so popular. But if you plan on being a parent someday, you want to pay special attention to the teachings in Proverbs. It has so much for us. So let's get to that first category. Would you like to be 
the ideal spouse? Would you like to be the ideal husband, the ideal wife, according to Scripture? Well, I, I do, right? You know, something I, uh, something I teach my boys routinely, like seriously, if they had a dime for every time I bring it up in our household, I'm always telling my boys like, hey, someday you're going to want to get married. And it's like the biggest decision of, of your whole life. And you need to be so selective. <laughs> there are, I tell my boys, hey, there's a, there's a lot of girls out there. A lot of great, awesome, amazing girls. And, and they may have all these great qualities and you may be attracted to them for so many different reasons. But you need to be so selective because that decision, that decision will determine so much in your life. You want to make sure you get that one right. I emphasize that over and over and over. I'm always keeping that a part of the conversation in my household. If you want to have a good life, truly want to have the, the best life you possibly can, be so selective with whom you choose to spend the rest of it with. And so if you've heard of any chapter in Proverbs, I bet you it's been Proverbs 31. It's the last chapter in Proverbs. It's the, it's the concluding chapter, and the concluding paragraph in that chapter describes the ideal wife. You want to be the ideal wife? Pay attention to Proverbs 31. Uh, it, it, does it almost even feel dangerous for a guy to be preaching this, this chapter? I feel scared. All right. Uh, Proverbs 31. I want, uh, you, you can turn there if, you, if you'd like, because I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I am going to point out two different sections of it. But I want you to start at verse 10 with me. Just verses 10 and 11. Listen to this, listen to this proverb. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. Now, as is the case in so many times when you study in Scripture, there are, there are a lot of times things we can't see happening in the Scripture because we're reading it in English. Right? There's a language barrier that takes place when you study scripture. And so if you really want to be, uh, have the most confidence as to what a particular passage is saying, you always got to go back to the original Hebrew and Greek and, and rely on so many of those resources that help us understand how those words were used. But there's something happening here in this concluding paragraph that we can't see. In Hebrews, this is an acrostic poem. And so what's happening is every line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If we were reading this in Hebrew, this would be very obvious to us. The next line is, is the succeeding letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason they did that was so that they could teach this paragraph to their children in a way that they could memorize it. This is literally the ABCs of the ideal wife. And so they would teach it to their daughters, you want to be the ideal wife? Remember this. Memorize this. Little boys, you want to marry the ideal wife? Listen to this. Commit it to memory and search for this when you decide who you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so that, that description, it, 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 even, it even comes out with a, with a bang, a big explosion. You are in the pursuit of an excellent wife. Now, again, there's something we can't see because we're reading this in English. In the Hebrew, that word for excellent would have never been used to describe a woman. This is a masculine noun. And this is a word that would describe a powerful, strong, 
individual, a magnificent person. This is a word that would be used to describe a champion in battle, a warrior. And so right out, right out the gates, we get what we don't expect. You need to look for a strong woman. Be on the lookout for a strong woman. So, you know, boys back then, I bet you were just like they are now. They think, oh, man, I want to have a lot of women and a lot of money. Every song sings about it in our culture, right, still. And you, you know, things like that were going on back then. And, and what the Bible says is, listen, listen, listen. You want an excellent wife. You want a strong woman, and she is far more precious than any amount of money you could possibly fathom. You think you want those things, you know nothing. You want an excellent wife, and she is far more precious than, she'll make you forget about your riches. Those things, they don't even belong in the same discussion. She is what is valuable in your life. So look for an excellent wife. So this strong woman, and when you read through Proverbs 31, and that's your homework text. If you want something to study later on today or tomorrow morning, go read Proverbs 31. This strong woman is specifically someone who is hardworking. She makes money. She she, uh, provides for her family in, in numerous ways. She is generous. She's kind to the poor. She's compassionate to the needy. When she speaks, you can immediately tell she's wise. She's confident and fearless in the Lord. When she thinks about the future, she, her, her, her anxiety is suppressed by the magnificence and sovereignty of the Lord. She's an amazing, amazing individual. So no wonder, no wonder her husband has no lack of gain. <laughs> right? He's winning every day with a wife like that. He, he's got it all. So let me ask a dangerous question. You should always ask yourself dangerous questions when you're studying Scripture. Uh, does your spouse make you feel like you got it all? Ooh, hang on a second. It's awkward. That's an awkward question right now, and it's dangerous. I know I'm a guy asking this, talking about this verse. Does your spouse feel like they got it all? You know, here's, here's what I think of, though. I want us to stay there for a minute. When I read through this description this week, I kept reading Proverbs 31 and, and thinking through the ideal wife. And as I thought about each one of those descriptions, each one of those qualities or attributes that are described in the ideal wife, it hit me. I want to be every one of those things too. I want to be known as as hardworking. One of the descriptions of this ideal wife is that her, her her, her character reflects so good in the community that it makes her husband look good. It helps his reputation. I, I, that one specifically just jumped out on the page to me. And I thought, man, I want to be that type of spouse. I, w- I want to live with such a character that it makes my wife look good. I want to be every one of these things. I want to be known as generous, as, as compassionate, as one that gives to the needy, as one that when he speaks, there's wisdom that can be identified there, which is not always the case when I open my mouth, I can assure you. I want to be this amazing person, too, so that my wife feels as though that she has no lack of gain. But when I read through that list and I examine my own heart and my life, anytime you read a description of the ideal woman or the ideal man or the ideal deacon or the ideal elder and those qualifications and ways that we should live, anytime you read through those, I don't know if you're, I bet you're like me, I'm kind of like, I'm not very ideal. I don't, I don't live up to these the, in, in the ways in which I think I should. I feel as though I fall so short of those things. And, and, and so when I read 
uh, passages like this, um, I feel inspired to make a change. And I think that's the point of this teaching. See, because some of you, I don't know, maybe you're going through a rough patch or, or maybe you're, you're, you're feeling convicted or maybe uh, these bring all sorts of, of, of strange or, or different memories up or hard memories to your, to your mind. Sometimes we get so down on ourselves and, and it becomes so painfully clear that we've fallen short that we start asking the wrong questions. Sometimes when we read a passage like this, we start to ask, like, am, am I married to the ideal wife? Am I the ideal husband? When we, get to, when we get in that frame of mind, I think we're asking the wrong questions. If you're married here today, let me tell you, you you've made a vow. When I married Amanda, I made vows before God, before my family, before friends and church family. And that means something. It means this. I am the ideal husband for my wife, and she is the ideal wife for me. We made vows, and we are committed to those vows. And so that's where we're at. And so that my frame of mind can never get to a place where I start asking the question, did I, you know, when I'm having a hard week or, or, or we're not in sync, did I marry the right woman? That, that's, that's a waste of time. That's skirting my responsibility as a husband when I start thinking like that. I need to be in this frame of mind. I need to be thinking, am I working to cultivate the ideal wife in my spouse? And is she working to cultivate the ideal husband in me? I sure hope she's working to cultivate that in me. Because we're in a lot of trouble if it's just me working on it. I need, but we are one. We are both to work on this together. And I think this proverb, this, this last paragraph, gives us a really practical glimpse in how to do that. In how to cultivate this spouse. As a matter of fact, if you look at the, if the uh, even look at our English word husband, when, it, when it's a verb, isn't it, I, I believe uh, my research this week, it, was, it can be used as husbandry. It actually means cultivating. So as husbands, like the, to be a husband, there's a sense in which it means to cultivate a family. And we want to cultivate a family for the Lord. And I want to cultivate uh, my wife into who she can be. And I want her to do the same in me. And so the frame of mind is, am, am, I, am I husbanding <laughs> my wife into the ideal wife? And is, is she wifing the, uh, the ideal husband in me? And so here's how we do it. Look in Proverbs 31. And let, me, let me show you in, in, 28, in verse 28. Look at how her family speaks of her. After this big description of all of these attributes and characteristics, it says in verse 28, her children raise up and call her blessed. They rise up and let her know they love their mom. We love our mom. We're proud of her. Isn't it awesome when you come into contact with a child who is impressed by their parents? It, it doesn't always happen, but it, when you come in contact with like a, a child that wants to brag about their dad or their mom and just talk about how amazing they are, isn't that such a blessing? Like you know when that's happening, that they're going home to a healthy household. Something good is happening there. That's a positive thing, right? But where do they learn how to do that? Look in the next verse. I'll, I'll start in the beginning of 28 again. Her husband rises up and call her blessed. Her her husband also, and he praises her, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Dad cultivated that household of encouragement by the way he speaks. When he talks about his wife, he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, we got to understand this was written in the same 
uh, doctrinal context that we have, they understood every single human being was fallen. They understood that every single human being isn't perfect. They know every wife will fall short of the glory of God. They understood that perfectly, but he still talks about his wife as, as if she is perfect. How encouraging is that? And so I think what's even more impressive to me, like it's impressive when a, when a, a little boy or a little girl brags about dad or mom, and I love that, and that's a blessing, but it's even more impressive, even more encouraging to me when I hear a husband bragging on his wife like talking about her like she's a superhero or something, talking about her like she's the most amazing thing that's ever existed. I love when husbands talk about their wife like that, and I love when wives talk about their husbands like that. Like that is just, it's a sign of health, and it's a blessing to hear. I, I love hearing those things, and especially in a family of God, like to be able to hear one another speak of family members like that and brag about how amazing their spouse is. Like I love that because it, it speaks of a, of a husband or wife who has laser focus on their spouse. That's what they're most concerned about. I'm mo like, it's not denying the fact that there are other amazing women out there or other amazing men out there. They just have laser focus as to how amazing their spouse is. And I love that. And I think it's a wonderful frame of mind to be in. Like, if you went up to this guy who's described in Proverbs 31 and said, man, look how beautiful those women are over there. Check that out. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, those are, those are pretty women. But, uh, but you know what? My wife is smoking hot. She is amazing. She is the standard, and nobody else is living up to that. That's how this guy would talk about his wife. If you went up to this dude and said, man, look how, look how impressive these women are. Look, look how successful they are in their careers and providing for their family. They just seem to have it all together. Look at, look at He's not impressed by that because he's too distracted by his own wife. He's too caught up. And who she is. She is the standard. And no one else seems to live up to that standard in his eyes. That's a posture and a frame of mind that is cultivated in godly wisdom. I was, I was thinking this uh, past week. Amanda and I have been training for a 10K. <laughs> I've never ran in my life. I, I, like, I, I love sports, but I like the, the sports where you run a little bit like to first base and then stop and take a break. I like those types of sports. I don't jog. I have never jogged. My friends tried to get me to run cross country in, in high school and things like that. <laughs> I just laugh at them like, right, no, no. Why would I jog for no reason? And so I, Amanda loves cross country. She ran all the time. And, and now Nolan runs and things like that. But, but I, I figured, you know what? Let's do this together. So I've been training. I'm in week five training for a 10K. I got one of these apps that are like couch to 10K, right? So, like, they really take into, I really appreciate it. Like, the first day is, like, jog for a minute and then stop and pray. Like, you know, it's like, like, it's like starts you at ground zero. Like, they just take it, like, they just figure you're the most out of shape person in the world. And so I'm like, oh, this is the app for me. I like, I like where they're starting here. This is realistic. But I'm in week five now. And so this week I had to jog for 15 minutes straight. And then the wheels feel like they're coming off. Like, my joints hurt. My calf is strained. It's hurt from softball. I already heard it earlier this year. Like, I just feel like sometimes after I exercise, like later in that day, I was like, man, was I in a car wreck today? I feel awful. This is healthy? I feel much healthier when I'm eating Doritos. 
And so I'm, I'm looking, at, and I'm just feeling the aches and pains of exercising, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the, ba- in the bedroom, changing my clothes, and I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. Uh, like, I don't look like I did 15 years ago, and the wheels are coming off. I'm complaining about all these aches and pains. <laughs> I just feel lazy and out of shape, and I'm going to try my best, but if you got to finish that race without me and I die, just leave me there. <laughs> and she says to me, she's always so encouraging. Uh, she's the epitome of this encouragement in Proverbs 31. She's like, oh, babe, you're perfect. You, you get more handsome the older you get. She starts laying that on me, right? It feels good. I, in that moment, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, Lord, thank you for giving me a delusional wife. Like, living in the delusion is happy. <laughs> I like living in the delusion. I love the fact that she's disoriented and confused and, and, and delusional. Like, that's a blessing that she's delusional. <laughs> you can quote, quote the pastor on Twitter today. I love the fact that my li- wife is delusional. Cody Farman, come to the journey. But I, it's, it's encouraging, Right? She, she, she makes me feel that I, I lack nothing. And that's, that's the ideal spouse. And so again, I want to be a husband that cultivates everything that my wife is capable of. And I think that's how God designed it. That's how he designed our marriages to work. He wants us as a spouse to cultivate and, and, and use every influence that we have to bring out the best and everything that our spouse is capable of, like, we play a role in that. And if we don't do that, if we, if we deny our spouse that, we are withholding a love that they need, that they have to have to be that ideal spouse. Without your help, they cannot be that person. We're robbing them when we withhold that love. I think it's sinful. And so we want to be generous with our, with our encouragement we want to be generous in such a way that they are empowered. No wonder that woman is so amazing in Proverbs 31 with her family cheering her on like that all the time. No wonder. Well, let's get to the second category or we're going to run out of time. When you look in Proverbs, there's so many Proverbs that speak to us on how to be wise in our youth with regard to our parents. And so teens, it's for you, man. But you know what? I got parents. I still want to live with that wisdom today, too. I want to honor them and things. So, so the ideal child in the book of Proverbs, though, is one who decides to take wisdom seriously right now. We tend to think when we're young, ah, oh, wisdom's something I'll get to down the road. Or we always think we're further along than what we actually are when we're, when we're a youth. But we, we tend to think, we do, I'm just going to put it off. I already know everything I need to know right now. And so remember the context of Proverbs Solomon started pinning this book by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to minister to his sons. He wanted to make sure they took wisdom seriously right now in their youth. And so he was harping on him. In some ways, this is like, this is like the youth group book, right? This is, this is the teen study guide on how to live with wisdom. And so he, he's trying to make sure his sons pursue this wisdom right now, not later. That they, that, they, that they create an awareness of a need for this wisdom right now. And if you have that in your youth, you have something very special, something very rare. But listen, listen to Proverbs 23, 25. It says, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. 
If you are growing up in a household and you are the child in that household right, right now, regardless of your age, one of the main goals in your life should be to live in such a way that your parents rejoice in who you are. Now, I think there's a level in which mom and dad will always do that if they're good parents. They're always going to be rejoicing, finding the good qualities, no matter how much they have to dig, right? But, you know, you should be actively living your life in such a way that you cause them to rejoice. You're, you're sensitive to it. You know what causes us to rejoice, kids? Obedience. Boy, every one of us are parents, every one of us parents, like when we tell our kids to do something and they do it, we're just like, praise the Lord. This feels amazing. Right? It's a joy. It has us jumping for joy. And the reason it has us jumping for joy is because when we parent our children, we're doing so with the knowledge of, of what's best for them. I want you to live in this specific way because this is the best way for you to live. You will have the best results. You will experience the best life if you follow these instructions. That's why I'm telling you to do it. And so if you respond to that instruction and correction with obedience, mom and dad are praising the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this obedient child, right? But when you reject your parents' instruction, when you reject their counsel, when you think you know better, you're rejecting their care of you. You're, you're diminishing their care of you. So, so we parents, we desperately want to, want to care for our kids. And when, when, you, when you reject our, our counsel and our instruction, you're preventing us from being the parent we're trying to be. It's very frustrating. It's very upsetting. That's why parents get upset when their kids aren't obedient because we're not able to care for you in the way that we want to. And so a wise youth is someone who is sensitive to when their parents are upset like that. And so when you don't follow instruction and, and you see your parents upset because you didn't do what they said, a wise student is someone who says, wow, if they're, if they're that upset, I, I need to adjust the way that I'm living right now. And so Proverbs 15, 20 says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Only, only a fool doesn't care what his parents think. But isn't that oftentimes the posture of, of someone who's being a, a disobedient teen? So let me ask you teens this. Have, have you ever been in one of those situations in which your parents have parented you in such a way and you in which you despise them? Well, you say despise. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say despise. That's a strong word. Do I despise my parents? Well, we express that emotion, that, that feeling through many different ways. I want you to think of this. When your parents tell you no, how do you respond? If you could tell me how you respond when your parents tell you no, I'll tell you if you despise them or not. How do you respond when they correct you? When you've done something wrong and they, they tell you and they correct that behavior. How do you respond in that moment? I'll tell you whether or not you despise your parents. How do you respond when you're punished? That tells us everything. You know, some, some kids, with, when they get corrected, when they, when they get punished, that's when they give their parents the disrespectful eye roll. Their body language communicates that they think they are above their parents. And so the, 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 that body language, the eye roll, or slamming the door, or stomping off, or whining, 
It's a way that a teen expresses their parents are beneath them in their mind. And I'm going to punish them for correcting me. I'm going to punish them for punishing me. So I'm slamming the door. I'm, I'm yelling back. I'm rolling my eyes to let them know they are beneath me. That's what it means to despise your parents. Do you despise your parents? Only a fool would do that. I've behaved foolishly a time or two if it makes you feel any better. It shouldn't. Proverbs 20, 20 says, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now, I really like that proverb because it, it, it tells us so much. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being out in the woods in, in complete darkness? Have you ever been out in the woods? I've been out in the woods in complete darkness a lot. And, and there's some fun things to do out there in the woods in the dark with flashlights and things like that. But can you imagine being out in the woods, having a flashlight? Because if you don't have any source of light when you're out in the woods in the dark, you don't, you're not going to be able to see where you're going. It's especially dark in the woods when it's dark out, right? When, when the sun's gone down. But can you imagine being out there and trying to find your way home with that flashlight and then just stopping, taking the batteries out of the flashlight, throwing them in the darkness and tossing your flashlight aside? That's what you're doing when you disrespect your parents and think that they are beneath you. That is the equivalent to what you are doing. You are cursing the biggest asset that you have in life. These people are out for your best interest in a way that no one else can be. And when you disrespect them or think of them as someone that is, that, that is below you, that you know more, or that they have to earn your respect... That's foolishness. That's absolute foolishness. It's so self-destructive. It's self-deceiving. It's, it's nothing, it has nothing to do with godly wisdom. And, and you know, it's interesting. I think the kids that do this growing up, uh, they're allowed to get away with it. But then when they grow up, they become the parent that, or they become the, the, the adult that tends to blame everybody else for their problems. And they'll even blame their parents for their childhood like like their parents couldn't stop them from making all these bad choices so they become the adult that blames their parents for not stopping them from making all those bad choices you just can't win with someone who lives in this frame of mind so we have to repent of it biblical wisdom with regard to being a youth is this it's in the ten commandments it's the fifth commandment honor your father and mother you want to be wise in your youth Never live in the frame of mind that your parents have to, owe you, have to earn your respect. You owe it to them. That's the posture you live in. I owe them my respect because they're my parents. They may be knuckleheads at times. They may not get everything right. They may not parent me perfectly. But I owe them respect. So I will not despise them. Of all the people on the planet Earth, I will not disrespect them. They automatically get my respect. That's the posture of someone who lives with wisdom. So the third category, we want to examine what wisdom looks like with regard to the parent. I want to be the ideal parent, don't you? Man, I need help in this category. I really feel the pressure. Some of you are past the stage of life that I'm in. All right, I got, I got the, the, the freshman in high school, the sixth grader, the fourth grader. Like my, I feel like some of my most important years of parenting have, have arrived. 
I feel the pressure right now. I just feel like, like I have this window of opportunity that I especially don't want to squander right now. So I'm trying to be especially care, uh, careful. But listen to this verse. I bet you know it. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train up, that word in Hebrew literally means to dedicate. It's to dedicate our children to the Lord. That's the obedience to scripture is what we were doing here earlier. And so it's this outward expression of an inward conviction to, to leave that legacy of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every parent in this room, you will dedicate your children to something, right? What's important to you will be important to them. And so what you spend your time doing, that will be what your child spends time doing because they're watching you, you're modeling it. And so they're copying that. And that becomes important to them. So functionally, every single person on the planet Earth dedicates their child to something. We want to make sure we dedicate our child in the way he should go in the Lord. I mean, so we, it, when we dedicate our children, it's saying, I am committed, again, to leaving this legacy of faith through my child. So I'm going to raise them up in the Lord. And so ideal parents, as they do this, they do this with discipline. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. You'll love this one. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod discipline, or but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And so um, we want to discipline our kids, and we know there's a wide range of ways to do this, and we will always, obviously, want to do this appropriately. But it's that discipline that we need in the lives of our children in order to drive the worldliness away from them because worldliness is what comes natural, right? If, if, someone, if someone is uh, is living apart from the truth of the gospel, it's natural to live the ways of the world. And so we want to make sure that they don't live according to the ways of the world, so we discipline them to rebel against the world. Now, you know, we, we talk about rebelling from God, and, and that is right and true, but I like to think, I like to think of that uh, the other, uh, you know, in, in an inverted way. I like to think of disciplining my kids and raising my family up to be rebels. Because, like, 50, 100, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, like, when, when people would, would raise up in a family or grow up in a family and they, they uh, you know, depart from the faith and they, they rebel against their family and they rebel against the church... Like, they, you know, oh, they're, they're just living a life of rebellion, right? But I, don't, I think the world's different now. We live in this post-Christian era of society. And so now I, like to I tend to think of it the other way around. I, I want to train and discipline my kids to rebel against the world. You really want to be a rebel? Live out Christian values in the world. That makes you the rebel now. We are the rebellion. Like, like we are the minority, and so if you depart from your faith and you do everything your parents say not to do or, or, and you just, you just depart from, you know, biblical morality and all those, all, those, all those things, you're not a rebel. You're a conformist. There's nothing cool about that at all. You're conforming to the world, and that's a completely natural thing to do. You haven't done anything at all. You want to be a real rebel, listen to your parents, obey them. You want to you make sure your child rebels against the ways of the world? Discipline them. Discipline them. Teach them they're being a rebel. You feel different? There's a reason for that. 
You feel like you're going against the flow? There's a reason for that. Good. I'm glad you're feeling it. If you weren't, there's something wrong. We are the rebels. And rebels need a refuge. This is really important. You think of any movie with the rebellion. You think of Star Wars and things like that. They, they have these little uh, you know, places of refuge. They have to go hide and, and gain their confidence and be protected and gather together and to rally. Like if you as a parent don't provide that refuge for your child, don't expect them to be a rebel. Don't expect them to rebel against the world. You have to provide that refuge yourself. Listen to Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Your confidence in the Lord and you living and modeling out that faith in God, that will become a refuge for your children. And so the, the gospel of Jesus and our confidence in God's sovereignty, this is to be such a part of the conversation in our daily lives that whenever our children feel they are living against the grain, they have a place to go and to, to cope with that. Your children have to cope with the fact that they're going to be different. And so when they go to school and they're seen as strange and they had the one view that no one else has, they have to go cope. They, they need a refuge for that. Whenever they feel as though they're missing out on something by not sinning in a particular way, they need a way to cope with that stress that comes along with that, the anxiety of feeling as though they're missing out and, and not being a part of the crowd. You have to be that refuge as the parent. It's the narrow path. It's difficult. They have to be reminded of that constantly. Yeah, it's different. It's harder because that's the way it was designed. We don't fit in here. We weren't meant for this ultimately. And so we're rebels. And our confidence in the Lord as parents will be a huge refuge for them. We want to remind our kids that, hey, this world is fallen and broken and sinful. This world is full of corruption and, and, and death. But we are offered something far greater than anything this world has to offer. Right? We, we, are, we are promised everlasting life free from sin through Jesus Christ. All of the problems of the world, all of the frustrations that we're dealing with, it's all temporary. We have an, the ultimate refuge, which is the gospel. And so if we want to live with wisdom with regard to our family, we want to make sure that we are the ideal spouse. I know for me, one of the first verses that comes to mind, I, I want to love my wife as, as Christ loved the church. If we want to honor our parents as, as children and, and living in obedience, ultimately that means I want to live in obedience to the Lord, obedience to Jesus and his teachings. If we want to be the ideal parent, we need to dedicate our children to the Lord. We need to discipline even though it's not fun all the time. It doesn't always feel good. But there's a, there's a bigger goal here than having a single happy day where you don't have to discipline your kids. The bigger goal is that you leave a legacy of the gospel, a legacy of faith for the generations of your family to come. That your family line would always know the Lord. That is what wisdom looks like in the Christian family. So we're going to go into a time of communion to remember the, the, what is at the center of this faith, the, the, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so we're going to take communion. We have it located next to both entrances there. You can send someone to get that. If, if your faith is in the righteousness of Christ, then we take that wafer to remember that he is sinless, and our faith in him means that sinlessness is imputed to us. We didn't come up with that on our own. That's given to us. And we take that juice to remember our sins have been atoned for. 
So we don't make up for our sins. They've been punished on the cross. And so take communion with, that, with us and let your hearts and minds be focused on that today. So let's, let's stand and pray and we'll prepare to sing. Lord, again, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you so much for your grace that you would give us uh, wisdom to live. Lord, even in the most practical ways. Lord, these, these passages that teach us how to live wisely as a spouse, I felt so convicted, Lord, and I'm so encouraged by your word to make changes this week that I could cultivate in my spouse the capabilities that you put in place there, that we could work together to cultivate a healthy marriage. Lord, I, I thank you so much that I have children. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them with wisdom, that they would live with wisdom now and not see it as something that's down the road. Lord, I, I pray for your blessing on all of us parents. So intimidating thinking of, about the, the, the role of a parent, Lord, and help us to discipline wisely and with a specific goal in mind, that we would discipline them in holiness and in, in righteousness and purity and, Lord, and who you are, that we would point them to you. We want to behave this way because it's a reflection of who you are, and that's the ultimate goal, to, to point people towards you. Lord, we want to do this all to the glory of your Son. So bless us in this time of communion, and may we worship you with our hearts. Amen.